If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined with a really cool special guest that I have been wanting to get on the show for a while. Uh, it's uh, Rich Ficky with uh, Real Wealth. Rich, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. Appreciate it, Sterling. I have seen Rich on stage in uh, in several several different conferences over the years and uh, love his story, love what him and his wife, Kathy, are doing. Um and and a little sidebar, I was just telling Rich before we started recording. Um, every time I go to meditate, I think about Rich uh, because I saw him on stage talking about how he meditated every day for 365 days straight, and he tracked it on his app. And I can't get through five minutes without wondering and trying to solve problems. And uh, oh, it's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, Rich, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, about uh, your company, about your background, and kind of what you guys are doing in real estate? Sure. So, my wife, Kathy Fetke, and I um, started this company called Real Wealth back in 2003. Um, we help people get into single-family properties, one to four units around the country. Um, basically, I'm a, a, a broker, a licensed broker, so we refer investors after educating them and uh, having strategy sessions with them where we, we refer them to these property teams around the country who have inventory available. Um, so that's a big part of our company, uh, just helping people basically kind of, kind of get out of the stock market or um, they're busy professionals and they want to invest in real estate, but they don't have the time to be active investors. So we help them that way. And then we also syndicate. So we have mostly residential ground up development. We've done about a dozen of those, um, mostly in the north west and um some in florida too all that so yeah so we develop um residential developments and we syndicate that by having investors all kind of team up partner together and create these and then sell them and there's a share in the profits awesome so the 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 residential developments i can that you you're just building them and selling individual houses to end retail buyers it's a mix. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of it. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll get the entitlements, we'll, we'll get the property, um, get it entitled for a residential development, sometimes do all the horizontals, get in all the, the pads and all the um, infrastructure, and then sell that to a home builder like a DR Horton or a Pulte Homes was sold to um, Lennar. You know, sometimes we'll take that approach. It all depends on what's going to be most profitable for the investors and the, sometimes that's a quicker exit and sometimes it does really well. Sometimes we'll hold it and sell each property individually retail. And there's usually more profit in that, but it just takes a longer time. There's a larger execution risk, longer. longer yeah, risk no doubt. Kind of stuff. So I, I, I want to, I'm really curious about the first part of your business, but before we go back to there, uh, I've, I've always been interested in development, but but there's I feel like there's a lot of steps we're, we're skipping in that whole process. So where do you start? I mean, where as a as a land developer, how do you choose where to buy it 
And then once you've got a once you've got a raw chunk of land, let's say you go, I want to buy 150 acres, you know, right outside of, you know, wherever. And then you got 150 acres of raw. Um, there's trees on it, right? There's there's hills right. and and all kind of junk. You, you don't know what's underneath it. What's your next step? Who do you call? I mean, we, it, I'm, I'm assuming you're dealing with the city, with the municipalities a lot. Like, walk us through that process and like, how do you get from from land area selection? How do you know it's a good spot that somebody's going to want to buy and develop in? And then all the way through the, the entitlement process and how you get it ready to start building on it. That's a really good question and it's complex. And that's why we take the who, not how approach to it. And what we do is we partner up with experienced developers who have 20, 30, 40, sometimes 40 years experience. So what we do is we partner with developers who know all that and, you know, going through the process over the last 15 years, I've learned a lot of it, but it is not my area of expertise. My area of expertise is, is leadership and leadership in a company, bringing a team together Uh, so they're part of our team. So we partner up with these developers, but what they usually do is they have connections with the city. They know their market, whether that be Reno, Nevada. We've got a couple projects on Bozeman, Montana. Um, we've got this project in Tampa, Florida. And so what we do is we partner with developers in those markets who really know the area. They know what land is going to be valuable. They know the path of progress where freeways are getting put in and highways Um, that's going to make easier access to a city. So they know that this area that might be undervalued in the moment, in the future, in a couple of years, once that freeway goes into the city, is going to be a much shorter commute and the price of land and property is going to go up. So that's usually what they do. And then they also have connections with the local authorities, if you will. They know that yeah. the city planning and county planning and all that. So these developers will go in and they'll meet and kind of almost a good old boys network and they'll just yeah. say, Hey, I see this, this property over here. I think it's got a lot of potential. I would like to turn it into residential. I'd like to put in a subdivision here and what do I need to do? And so they kind of connect with that city planning and then they'll just say, well, you might have to donate some of that as open space or for trails, or we want you to put sidewalks in for people. Or usually there's kind of a, a win-win scenario where they set yeah. something up that's good for everyone. Uh, and then they then they get the entitlements to be able to develop that as residential development or commercial. And we've done a little bit of commercial as well, but mostly residential. Um, then it's the process of them bringing their teams in and really they, then they they partner up with a construction expert, a building company. So the developer is usually more a developer and expertise and kind of fitting all the pieces together. And then they will hire a builder, an experienced builder who knows how to build whatever, 50, 100 homes and get them done, get them done on time. Um, so, yeah, that's usually the process in that. So there's, there's more risk in, in ground up development, no doubt, but the rewards can be really stout. <laughs> yeah. So I, it, it just seems like such a, such a just a thing you have to dive so far in the minutia and and really be patient you know like where do you start where you call the city well how do you call the city well you google the city number and then you ask to talk to the next person you ask like i just think about like dealing with the permit department gives me heartburn i could only imagine no like, you know what i mean i want to get this whole thing zoned yeah. oh the city oh. just decided this week they're not going to zone it that way and there's nothing you can do about it you know that's yeah uh, or they change things they change things on you it's like you're almost yeah. done oh yeah kathy and i've been through it just building our own, own home that I'm in here and 
uh, just up the street in Malibu, we did a, a full rehab on another property that we turned into a rental. But man, this then the codes change, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, we approved before, now it's changed. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. So yeah, I think that's the key to being successful, really, is partnering up with the right people who have their own unique abilities and their own strengths and skills in one area and then work together as a team and co-create instead of just trying to do it all on your own. Yeah, that's that's so true. And I think a lot of outsiders looking in don't realize how many different, you know, steps there are in the process and how and how, how completely unrelated some of those steps might be, right? Like, you know, the guys like you and us, our, our job is, is typically to marshal the resources and the capital and to educate people and this is what you're investing in. And then yeah. there's and then, you know, there's a, a whole nother piece that does the development side. And then, you know, once it goes through that part of the process, there's a whole nother piece that does the construction side. And yeah. And there's a whole nother piece that does the bookkeeping side. And there's right. a whole nother piece that does the, the legal and compliance side. Yeah. That's the thing is it's, it takes a team. It really, it takes a team is the bottom line, especially when ground up development. So what are these, what are these look, what do they look like for your investors? Right. Cause they're, you know, we, we the space I typically spend most of my time in with investors is like a, a value add multifamily scenario and, right. and it's lower returns, but it's it's also lower risk because like we have stabilized cash flow. Y'all are going and we've already got a building there, right? We're just making it a little prettier. Y'all are going mm -hmm. through a longer stretch, but from what I understand is a lot, a lot higher payout. So like, what is the typical timeline look like? What is the cash flow distributions? What type of returns do, do investors typically expect in these kind of projects? Yeah. I mean, it's quite a range. And we also, it's similar to the multifamily deals that you do. We, um, we just launched our second single family fund. So we had a single family fund that we ran through over the last six years and basically acquired because we have these property teams, the, the boots on the ground who have a lot of great single families with property management in place. So we put a fund together um, where we acquired a whole bunch of single family properties and held them. Uh, so investors would get the, the cash flow on that. But also then when we sold all those properties and some of them were in really great markets, like a lot of them were in Florida. And then we sold those properties and then investors got their return on that. So again, kind of like multifamily, not not huge return. This more like a 9% return on something like that. Um, and we just started a new single family fund that's uh, based out of um, north of Dallas. So we're acquiring a whole bunch of properties up there just because path of progress again. So many people are moving there. So many businesses in Texas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been solid. And I think it's going to stay solid, you know, just based in. Yeah. It's just good good leadership really um, when it comes to that. So when it comes to like one of the residential ground up developments, usually there's a pref. So we've done prefs ranging everything from 8% to 15%, depending on the risk. Um, and so they'll get the preferred return, meaning that the investors, I'm sure you're aware of it, investors get their return before we do or the developer or the builder that we, you know, they get their first whatever 8%, 10%, whatever that preferred return is, and then they share in the profits. So once we start to sell and we sell everything off, then there's a split. And usually it's 70, 30, 70% to the developer and us, and then 30% to the investors. So the projects that we've done over time have ranged from at, at a low, I think 10% was our lowest return. And we've had one return as high as 30% to investors, but usually it comes in right around 
15%. It's if you averaged it all out over time, depends on the project. And how, how long is the hold typically? Usually it's like five to seven years is typical, but you know, we have some projects that are still ongoing because they're just like the, the thorn in the side, you know, you're running sure. into whatever possibility, you know, um, challenges, you know, whether it be the, the developer running into a challenge with that or, um, you know, more, it's been like, like we developed something, um, we just developed something up in, oh my God, I'm forgetting the, the state now. <laughs> I was like, well, they're doing a lot of the oil refineries and all that, you know, they're putting the pipeline in and know what they were going to. Um, so they were all stoked on that. And we acquired this parcel that was right on the corner of two major freeways where a lot of the truckers go, where we can have restaurants and a hotel and all that. And that was when the, everything was booming and there was all the, the fracking going on, all the oil production. And then all of a sudden the, the government changed, changed some laws and stopped the pipeline and all that. So that basically literally dried up. And so that property is now, we're just holding it is it, it just, it's not a once profitable project. Well, once, once, once you have some political shifts, it'll be viable again, right? There you go. Yeah. Then, yeah, some political shifts and that <laughs> will take off again and be thriving. And yeah, it's funny. I had a developer say to me once, he goes, I, I don't lose money on my projects. I just sometimes take more time than planned. Right. You just need to know if you can hold it and control the asset through a downturn or through any type of challenge on the backside of it, you can usually, you know, make things work. Absolutely. Well, that's cool. That's cool stuff with the development. Um, going back to the first function of your business, um, I, I wanted a little more detail on that. So you said you're a broker and you refer business to other brokers. Um, mm -hmm. Let me tell you what I think that means and then correct me if I'm wrong. It sure. sounds it sounds like like you're basically a licensed like real estate agent and then you have other licensed real estate agents in local markets and you educate investors on, hey, this is why you should buy turnkey rental properties or whatever. And then you refer those to the local real estate agents in those markets that sell them turnkey rental properties. And then y'all split the commission. Is that is that an accurate description of what kind of what's going it's on very close yeah very, very close so the department of real estate they have some very strict laws about it and it has to be broker to broker so it can't just be an agent an agent would hang their license under a broker so the broker um in one state can refer to a broker in another state so i have a network of other brokers that i refer to throughout the country i'm the broker in california and so when i refer an investor to them it's a total win-win-win because it's a win for the investor because they find inventory and they find properties that they would otherwise not have been able to find yeah. quality properties that are ready to go that are up to our standards that we call our real income property standards which stands for um it's it's really just looking at the whole thing of all the guidelines of what we look for in a property how much time left on the roof um what all new paint you know new new electrical if needed uh, all the plumbing's up to date, you know, so we have this whole list of real income property standards. Um, so basically that's the way it works. So when I refer one of an, our company refers someone to one of these brokers, then the broker shows them, here's the properties we have available. When that investor purchases and acquires one of those investment properties, then that broker pays a referral fee to us. It's not paid through the investor. It's their 
it's a it's of their commission. Percentage sure. Of exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I, I use the word agent to break it down because there's a lot of a lot of uh, confusion around uh, how the word broker, right? Because right, like, yeah. Like like uh, commercial real estate agents call themselves brokers. But then yes. I, my understanding of the term broker is, is as you describe it, traditional, like I own the agency and the agent hangs their hat under me. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, yeah. But, 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 you know, with the commercial, when we're trading apartment complexes, every aid, every commercial agent calls himself a broker. That's just the terminology. And then Interesting. Got, right. Yeah. yeah. Good point. And then you've got, you know, like loan brokers and then you've got like money brokers. So I, I just didn't know where, so that, that's kind of where the, the definition was, was yeah that's an interesting was it yeah even with loan brokers it's like i know that my wife kathy used to be you know she was a licensed agent and but she called herself a, a loan you know a loan I broker did. a yeah. mortgage broker yeah but she was an agent and then there was a broker and legally you have to have a broker who manages the whole office the, the legal and fiduciary responsibility is the broker so yeah that's a really interesting one i can see why it's yeah, kind of confusing there's definitely a lot of confusion around it. So, um, how, where did the business, where did the business originate? Where did it start? Did you start with as, as real estate agents or brokers and kind of branched out? Oh man, no, it started from desperation. It started from desperation. I was, um, 37 years old. I was, uh, a, I had a very successful um, business coaching practice uh, I had just signed a book deal with Simon and Schuster. I was giving keynote speeches all over the country. I was like, just totally feeling on top of my game and like crushing my goals and feeling great. And then I was diagnosed with melanoma, which is the most advanced form of skin cancer. And it's usually not too bad. They can do the surgeries and remove it, which they did. But then they asked me to do a CT scan and that showed four masses on my liver. And then I had to wait a couple of weeks for an ultrasound. And that also showed the same four masses on my liver. And so I met with an oncologist and he said, it looks like the melanoma has spread to your liver. Uh, and if so, you probably have about six months to live. So that was the rocker for us. We had a 10-year-old daughter, a three-year-old daughter. Kathy was a stay-at-home mom at the time. And so it was Kathy who just in that, what am I going to do if Rich is the breadwinner? What am I going to do for an income? And she had this kind of a hobby. We were coaching at the time. She was also coaching some people um, from home. And she had this small radio show in San Francisco that she was just, you know, kind of the pay to play where you you pay to uh, to be on the air. And she was doing it mm-hmm. to find coaching clients. So she just pivoted and said, I want to start interviewing people who are financially successful to find out what they did to become financially successful. And most of these people that she interviewed were real estate investors. So she came home excited. She's saying, I, I know what I can do. I can start investing in real estate. Now this is 2003 when it was pretty easy to invest in real estate with those no income, no asset loans and, and all that right. stuff. And, um, and so she came home and said, this is what we can do. Uh, a few weeks later, I was scheduled for a PET scan, which is the most advanced form of, of scanning for cancer. And that showed me cancer free, which was the, the blessing. It was amazing. Uh, they just think it was hemangiomas, just little clusters of blood vessels on my liver that 20% of the population has is what they told me. Um, but it, it's harmless. It's benign. And so the melanoma had not spread to my liver is what they call a false positive, but it was the curse and the sphere of thinking I was going to be gone and not see my daughters grow up and everything, uh, turned around into a blessing because it's what 
led us to real estate investing. And Kathy and I went out, we started to buy investment properties. Uh, Kathy actually had Robert Kiyosaki on her show um, in San Francisco. And that, you know, that did a lot for us as far as not only the awareness of people saying, how, you know, how are you doing this? I want to invest too. But Robert also said what he was doing back then in 2003 was selling all of his high-priced California um, investment properties, 1031-ing them into Texas. So we just followed his lead and said, well, this is what he's doing. So we did a cash-out refi on the property that we were living in, and we went and bought six investment properties north of Dallas. And that was what was the icebreaker for us. All of a sudden, it just completely changed our mindset like, wow, we're investors now. And I, I thought someday I would we'd be real estate investors when we had enough money to invest. <laughs> but we didn't realize that you can actually invest with without that much money, you can get started. Yeah. And, and that was it. So we got we were hooked on it. And then we had friends and family and listeners of Kathy's radio show saying, how are you living in San Francisco and investing in Texas? And so we decided to form a, a small group of investors to help each other and educate and help them get into investment properties. And that little group that we thought would be small, maybe a hundred people is now we just passed 67,000 members at real wealth. So we've helped a lot of people create financial freedom. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what do you spend most of your time these days doing? I'm assuming you're not buying individual single family houses anymore. No, like, yeah, once you get to a certain amount of investor loans and all that. So Kathy and I are more involved in um, the syndications and the projects where um, limited partner and some, some were general partners. Um, We just developed something up near Park City on 72 acres. And we developed a whole bunch of single family homes and townhomes. So Kathy and I invest in those projects as well. We even acquired, we, we bought one of the single families up there and we've also bought one of the townhouses. We were just there last weekend. Um, so more like more creative things like that and partnering up with other people that, um, you know, friends in the business who syndicate other things from self-storage to mm-hmm. mobile home parks to multifamily. So once you start to get to know people in this industry, you know who's the good people, who are the good ones, uh, we can invest with them. That's a, that's a great approach too. But most of our time is spent, you know, Surfing, rock climbing, skiing, <laughs> time with our kids, time with our grandson. We have a three-year-old grandson now. So that's what real wealth is to us, really. Real wealth is having that money and freedom to live life on your own terms. And awesome. that's been our focus as a company. And that's been our focus as a couple. How was it building a company with your spouse as your partner? Mostly good. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes very challenging, right? You know, it's like... You know, to what we got clear on was having very clear roles. So we're not stepping on each other's toes that I'm not making a decision and then she's not undoing it or vice versa um, to really use our unique abilities. So my unique ability coming from coaching and I used to own a health club when I was younger. um, So knowing how to lead a team and bring people together. So that's my main focus at Real Wealth is we have 20 employees. So it's really making sure people are communicating effectively sharing the vision of where we want to go, sharing the pur- our purpose of helping people create real wealth, um, really understanding the finances and, you know, making sure that we're as profitable as possible. So everyone benefits. And then Kathy's main role is she's more of the real estate expert in as far as market timing. She really understands where things are going market wise. That's what she's constantly studying. That's why she's on 
you know, the bigger pockets on the market podcast because sure. you know that's where her expertise lies. So, and she's just amazing. And as as you seen on a stage or behind a microphone or anything like that. So she brings good people into our network that want to invest. So she's just out there. She's a great, you know, great spokesperson, if you will. Absolutely. She is. And I know this is her area of expertise, but from living with her and working with her, surely you've overheard some of her predictions. And so I'm just curious because we're in a very turbulent time in the market. Um, what do you think about what's going on about how how folks should pivot their business and their investing and in, in re- relevance to what's going on. And do you think, you know, rates will go down soon? Do you think they'll continue to go up? Do you think we're going to hit a massive crash and total devaluation or, or what, what are your general thoughts about the economy and the, and the short-term and long-term outlook? Sure. Yeah. And you're, you're exactly right. I get to, you know, have dinner with her each night and <laughs> hear the updates. I get to listen through her office door when she's doing her podcast and her interviews. And the thing about Kathy, she's so connected and she's always been that way. She's a connector. And so she's so connected with some amazing economists and market timing experts and specialists that, you know, she'll have them not only on our podcast, but she'll just brainstorm with them. You know, when she's prepping for, she does an annual market update where she sees things going and then she'll, you know, do quarterly updates as well. So when, what I'm hearing from her and also from listening to On the Market and her Real Wealth Show podcasts and all that stuff is that, um, number one, hopefully people took our advice and her advice of making sure that they had reserves, making sure that they didn't have any ne- negative cash flow properties, making sure that they didn't do um, short-term bridge loans, and especially in multifamily or they're just trying to make it work and just hoping that they're going to get that appreciation. It's like that works in a certain market, but when you start to see a market cooling off and you start to see interest rates going up, it's like you don't want to be committing to those short-term short-term loans. Um, we always, when it comes to single family, we, we always talked about doing the 30-year fixed just because Kathy and I went through 2008. We got burned really bad. We lost properties to foreclosure. We had to do short sales. It really, it crushed us. And we learned some really powerful lessons about um, so not having any. Yeah. Y'all, you started in 2003. So y'all were going, I mean, five years later, 2008, y'all, y'all, y'all had a lot to lose by that point. I imagine that the yeah, we had put together a $5 fast. million dollar portfolio. Yep. Yeah. We had a $5 million portfolio. Um, and had we pivoted ahead of time, you know, Kathy was giving the advice to so many people about, you know, sell your high-priced California properties, you know, get them into more of a flat linear market, not an appreciation market like San Francisco area. Um, we, our focus in the beginning was very much, you know, Northern California was our audience. And when we had our big live events and all that, that was our main focus. Now we're more national. Um, but that was, you know, that was her advice, but it was kind of like, you know, we're like, here's, here's our advice, take it, you know, cause we're not using it. <laughs> we, uh, we didn't sell our two, high-priced California properties. We had one that one that I, we did the cash out refi on. Kathy wanted to get our kids into a better school district. So we bought a million dollar fixer upper and we moved into that so we could get our girls in a better school system. We kept the other property, which was worth about 1.8 at the time. And we rented that out. And so it was slightly negative cash flow. It was like three, $400 a month. How much, rent, how much rent do you get to even approach positive cash flow on a $2 million house. It's very, it's, it's very difficult, 
right guy. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, you get you got to get like seven thousand, seven seventy five hundred. Um, I mean, it really depends. It depends on where where the rates yeah. are, and you know, we had a, a decent rate back then. So, you know, and we had a lot of equity in it. So when we bought that house, we bought it for $547,000 in 1997, and it was going up $100,000 a year um, with through appreciation. And so by the time it was you know, 2005, it was just, you know, it was rocking it. That's when it got to 1.8. That's how we were able to do the cash out refi. Um, but we got cocky and we thought it would keep lasting and, and, and we held on to it because you know, our, our kids grew up there and was where we started our, our whole life as a married couple. And so there was emotional connection to it. Um, looking back, we should have just, you know, broken those emotional connections and, and been smart and just said, you know, let's sell this now. We would have been in a much better position. So, yeah. you know, but looking forward, um, as far as rates, um, everything that Kathy's saying and reading and learning, uh, interest rates will come down by the end of 2023, um, probably get down more around the 5% range, maybe maybe 5.5%. Um, this is just based on the different experts and what they're you know, looking at and forecasting. Um, you know, so there's going to be, it's going to come down. It's like we're, we're moving into a recession. That's the Fed has already said, we want to create a recession. And I think they're starting to see the effect of that and starting to work, uh, slowing down this inflation. Um, but, you know, a lot of it, depends on the bond market and all that as far as mortgage rates. So I think we're going to be a little lower on interest rates in the future. Uh, but as far as price drops, yeah. And some of these cyclical markets like California, you know, and New York and, and all that, there's definitely going to be some price drops, not massive, not a crash, um, but it really, it, it's going to adjust. It's going to make homes more affordable. And which honestly, if you're an investor and you're poised and you got some, you got some cash, it's going to be an opportune time. Yeah. So, you know, I think about you in 2007, right? Just watching that, that home value soar and, and like emotionally trying to come around to like, when should I take my chips off the table? I've thought about this. I got a bunch of flip houses that, that if I would have sold them six months ago, I would have made a a way more money than I'm going to get selling them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like and it, and as in tuned as I am with the market and as much many investors as I interview and as much as I watch it, I mean, I'm just obsessed with it all day, every day. And I, I saw it coming and I knew it was coming and I knew where it was going and I still got burned. It's like, well, how do you how do you get burned? And it's it's just human nature to go when you see it, when you're gaining that much, it's just so hard to take your chips off the table when you're like totally it's going up a hundred grand a year. I'm just making a hundred grand a year while I'm sleeping, you know, or like, you know, I'm making a hundred thousand dollars a house. How can I not buy 10 right now? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, just like anything. It's like stock market. It's like crypto and it's like gold. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you just get caught into that mindset of like, Oh, I don't, should I sell now? Is now the time? And then it's and all of a sudden it's too late. And you're like, Oh man, would have, could have, should have. Right. Yeah. Man, the crypto folks felt that one, huh? Oh man, it's oh, I'm sad for them. I know some people who threw a lot of money into crypto, and it's like just crushed them. So hopefully they didn't sell, because I yeah. think it will eventually come back. You know, do you, do you think? 
do you think it'll come back? I don't know the first thing about it. I bought I bought like thirty grand worth of it. It's worth about ten now. You know, wow. I I took the app off my phone, so I quit looking at it. <laughs> yeah, good, smart. That's good. Yeah, why create that stress? Yeah, you know? no, you know, it's like I, I don't know that much about it. You know, and we we bought some, you know, but it was low, uh, luckily. So I haven't lost money on it yet. But you know, I remember looking at it, going, "Whoa, I wish I bought more of this." You know, <laughs> when when it was going up. Um, but you know, it's just, just from the articles I've read about it and, and the little bit of research I've done, it's just, it's the way the, you know, monetary system is moving in so many ways. Um, yeah, blockchain, not only with, you know, finances and money, but also with real estate and syndicating and everything, we're going to be moving. We will move to blockchain in syndications because there's so many benefits of that. It's like knowing, um, you know, being clear on track, being able to track your investment in it, and you'll be able to move your investment over to someone else in a syndication, which yeah. you really can't do nowadays. But when it goes to blockchain, you'll be able to do that. And it's just, it's the way things are moving. It's just, it's going to take some years. Sure, sure. Well, I won't sell what I have left. <laughs> uh, when it shoots back up, I'll call and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So I want to, uh, do you real quick before we hop to the radio round, do you have any other advice for investors that are getting started today? Maybe somebody coming from corporate America, successful in their own right, want to dabble in real estate. They're hearing all kind of noise, right? Like wait until the market crashes or wait until interest rate goes down or wait until do this or do this now. What advice are you giving? You're you're in the education business first and foremost, right? What are you educating mm -hmm. people on? What is your message in November of 2022 to potential investors? Honestly, it's we're in the education business, but we don't charge for our education. Ever since day one at Real Wealth, we decided to be the anti-guru. We wouldn't we didn't want to be that guru up, you know, back of the room sales. You get you books. get so much value from the education when you give it away for free. Well, I think I, I wholeheartedly believe you get 10x more than you ever would selling it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I love that. Hundred percent. Yeah. So um my advice would be if you know, if you're not already an active investor, if you're not investing, but you're thinking about it, now is a great time to just educate yourself. I just wrote a book, my second book, 20 years later, that just came out. It's called The Wise Investor. And I actually wrote it as a parable. It's a story uh, about creating financial freedom, about living your best life. Um, it's published through Rich Dad Advisors. I'm now a Rich Dad author, which is pretty cool. And Robert Kiyosaki wrote the forward for me, kind of blessing. But I wrapped a lot of lessons into this parable. So it's kind of like if you took like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and The Alchemist and The Richest Man in Babylon and you wove them all into one book, that's what The Wise Investor is like. And so it's a book that's going to inspire people to educate them about investing, how it works, what not to do, uh, lessons learned, and you know, also you know, becoming wealthy in more ways than just money. So that, I would say it's, Educate yourself, read great books, learn as much as you can right now, because the timing is going to be great. You know, give it a few more months and prices will be down a little bit more. And then just really with that education, you'll be so much wiser. You'll be so much better investor to come in and really acquire some things that are going to really grow and make you wealthy. Awesome. I love it. Um, on our radio round, we just got three quick questions for you. The first one is, um, outside of ones that you've written, 
What is your favorite book? My favorite book, man. It's like, I don't have one favorite book. I know as you probably heard that a bunch, you know, there's you can so list many good a ones. Couple. You can list a couple. I, I'll, I'll take notes. I'm going to actually give you a resource that has been the game changer for me and my life and so many other people. It's called optimize.me. It's free. And this guy, Brian Johnson, I've been following him for 15 years now. Um, optimize.me. And what he does is he takes the best books on business, on personal development, on stoicism, um, on breathing, on meditation, all this stuff. He takes these best books and he boils them down into a 20-minute MP3 and then uh, a six-page PDF. They're called Philosopher's Notes. And so it's such an amazing resource. And they just made it free. It used to be paid uh, because they're creating a whole social media platform for positivity instead of the, you know, what's out there now. Uh, so optimize.me. I've learned from um, the big ideas from the best books from optimize.me and Brian Johnson over the years. And then what that does is like one of them will really hit home and I'll be like, Oh man, like uh, the way of the superior man, great book, you know, um, hero on a journey, uh, hero on a mission. That's a hero on a mission by Don Miller was the most recent one he just did. And I, you know, so you hear these books and you're like, wow, this really had an impact. I, there's some big ideas in this book in the 20 minutes that you listen to the audio. And then you go out and buy the book because it's like, oh man, this is great. And then you can dive into it and, you know, yeah. dog ear and highlight and all that stuff. Awesome. I love it. What is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is from my wife. It's think about what you would die for and then live for it. That's I great. love that. That's great. And what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? I always get jealous when I ask folks that live in California this question because they always do all this wonderful, epic outdoor shit all year round and the beautiful. Oh, <laughs> man. Well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, we just, you know, it's I'm an adventure athlete and always have been. I love it. So I love skiing. But we, you know, we have to fly to Park City uh, for, for that and, and all over. Uh, but yeah, skiing, surfing, rock climbing. Um, those are my those are my favorites. Those are my big three. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Rich, thank you so much for joining today. I really enjoyed getting getting to spend a little time getting to know you better. Tell our thank listeners you. how they can find out and, and listen and get in touch with you and invest with you and learn from you and follow Kathy and everything. How can, how can you got it? Yeah. Super simple. Just um, if you type in real wealth, um, it'll come right up or realwealth.com is our website. Um, the real wealth show is Kathy's podcast. And then my book that I mentioned just a little while ago was called The Wise Investor. Uh, it came out uh, as an, uh, because of supply chain issues and everything. I'm just getting the hardcover tomorrow. I'm so excited to hold that book in my hand. It's been a year uh, since it's been, you know, trying to get printed because of supply chain issues. But the the uh, Kindle came out back in April. The audiobook came out in August. And uh, now the hardcover is going to be out this month. So it's called The Wise Investor. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll be looking for it and I look forward to keeping up with y'all on your journey and uh, hopefully we'll see each other again soon. And uh, absolutely coming conferences. Love it. Thanks for having me on. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. 
If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.